Have you ever had an experience where it was very clear that God was directing you or guiding you? An experience where it was very obvious that God was moving you to make a particular decision or to move in a particular direction. Personally, the fact that I am standing here this morning in a pulpit preaching a sermon is, an experience, is, a, is the result of an experience like that. Not maybe a single experience, but a string of experience where God was leaning in on me, guiding me to want to do what he wanted me to do. And I think that most of us who are Christians have had an experience like that. Actually, I know that all of us who are Christians have had an experience like that because that is how we came to believe in the first place. But I want us this morning to consider another type of experience. The type of experience I have in mind now is similar but different from the times where God is clearly guiding us and directing us. And the type of experience I'm thinking of now, we may not ever recognize, or maybe much later we might recognize, that God was guiding and leading us and directing us. For example, have you ever made a seemingly inconsequential decision, maybe like where you would go to lunch today, only to realize much later that God's hand was in what seemed like a routine, everyday, normal decision that could have no effect on you or would have no effect on anyone else. But maybe once you arrived at McDonald's instead of Burger King, you run into a friend you had not seen in a while, and through many circumstances that may take place over many years, you recognize later that God's hand was on you in making that very simple, inconsequential, what seemed to be routine, normal, everyday decision. God's hand was on you making that simple decision where to go to lunch at one place versus going to lunch at another place. Now, I'm not saying that we need to go around in our cars and every time we pull up to a traffic intersection, we need to stop and bow our heads and pray, do I go left, do I go right, do I go straight? I'm not saying that when I'm at the grocery store trying to decide if I want to buy uh, this type of toothpaste or that type of toothpaste that I need to stop and ask for divine intervention to make that decision. But what I am saying, and I don't think any of you would disagree, is that we are in constant need of God's guidance. There's still a whole lot of us. There's a whole lot of Jimmy that's still trying to hang on and to guide my life and to direct my life. And if I allow that to take place, I will make a bigger mess of things than I already do. And so what I'm saying this morning, what my main point is, so to speak, is that the Holy Spirit guides us in two different ways. Sometimes he guides us very clearly and directly, and other times he guides us more subtly and secretly. And so in our text for this morning, which will be in Acts 16, we will see God working in both of these ways. My aim this morning is that by looking at this story, that we will become more sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and then we'll thus be able to better be used by God 
in the future for his purposes that he has planned for each of us. So turn with me now to Acts 16, and I will read to us verses 1 to 15. Acts 16, verses 1 to 15. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple there was named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered for them the observance, for their observance, the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Christ did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Let's pray. Uh, Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that the Holy Spirit has worked on us and called us to believe the gospel message. And I pray now that the Holy Spirit will work in this service and will strengthen us in the faith and will call those who do not believe to know your Son this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the official title of the book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. And this is because it describes the activities of the apostles in the first century church as they are working to do what Jesus told them to, which was to go out into Jerusalem, into Judea, and into Samaria to make disciples all the way to the ends of the earth. But it has often been suggested that maybe a more appropriate title for the book of Acts would not be the Acts of the Apostles, but the Acts 
of the Holy Spirit. The point being that the one who is actually acting, the one who is doing the work, the main character, so to speak, is not the apostles, but it is the Holy Spirit. And at best, the apostles are the supporting characters in the story that we see in the book of Acts. The working of the Holy Spirit is peppered throughout this entire book. In Acts 1, Jesus promised his disciples that power would come upon them. And then in Acts 2, the power of the Holy Spirit did come upon them on the day of Pentecost. And so this promise is fulfilled. And this is the same Holy Spirit who in Acts 3 healed the lame beggar at the hands of Peter and John. The same Holy Spirit who fills Peter in Acts 4, enabling him to boldly stand in front of the Jewish council and defend himself. And this is the same Holy Spirit who in Acts 5 was lied to by Ananias and Sapphira and who later struck them dead because of that lie. And this is the same Holy Spirit who in Acts 6 and 7 filled Stephen and enabled him to boldly preach in the face of certain death and execution and then allowed him to gaze into heaven and to see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And this is the same Holy Holy Spirit, who in Acts 8 enabled uh, Philip to go and to intercept the chariot that was uh, filled by the Ethiopian eunuch and that would further take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And this is the same Holy Spirit who in Acts 9 removed the scales from Paul's eyes and converted him and enabled him to be the greatest Christian missionary this world has ever known. And this is the same Holy Spirit who in Acts 10 ordered Peter to take the gospel to Cornelius' house, which came, but known, came to be known as the Gentile Pentecost. And this is the same Holy Spirit who fell upon a priest in Acts 11 and caused him to prophesy about a great famine and uh, made Paul and Barnabas go and deliver relief funds to the church in Jerusalem. And this is the same Holy Spirit who intervened in a miraculous way in Acts chapter 12, delivering Peter from prison and from certain execution. This is the same Holy Spirit who in Acts 13 said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul and thus commenced their first missionary journey. And this is the same Holy Spirit who in Acts 14 made it seem reasonable to Paul to get up and to go back into Lystra after they just tried to stone him to death. And this is the same Holy Spirit who in Acts 15 prevailed upon the Jerusalem council to enable them to understand that you did not have to first become a Jew before you could become a Christian. And so when we arrive at Acts chapter 16, we should not expect anything different than the Holy Spirit continuing his work of seeing to it that the gospel goes forth and overcomes every obstacle that comes in its way. And that is exactly what we'll see when we look at this passage closely this morning. But before we do, let's orient ourselves to where we are in the context. Where are we at in the narrative of Acts? Who are the characters that we see that we just read about in verses 1 to 15? What do we know about them? What about the town that they arrive in? How did they get there? These are some questions we'll answer. And so first we'll begin by setting the context of this entire narrative. Our passage, it is located at the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey, which was a follow-up to his first journey where he and his friend Barnabas set out to establish congregations of Christian churches as they were went out to proclaim the gospel. And two years after returning home, Paul decides it is time for he and his friend Barnabas to revisit these churches, to strengthen them in the faith, and to determine how they were doing. 
But as they are getting ready to go, we see at the end of chapter 15 that Paul and Barnabas have a sharp disagreement. Their disagreement is over Barnabas's suggestion that they carry along with them a young man named John Mark. Paul was concerned about bringing John Mark along because previously John Mark had abandoned he and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. So Paul and Barnabas agree to disagree. They separate and, and Barnabas goes off with John Mark in one direction and Paul recruits a man named Silas who goes with Paul on another route. And so Paul, Paul and Silas depart Antioch and travel through Syria and Cilicia. And at the beginning of chapter 16, we see that they arrive in the Galatian cities of Derby and Lystra. And then in verse 3, we see that while in Lystra, Paul and Silas are joined by Timothy, who becomes one of the most important figures in the early church and Paul's son in the faith. But if you look on with me further to verse 6, this is where the story begins to get interesting. And so I want to read to us verses 6 and 7 again. Follow along with me. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So as you can see, two times in these verses, the Holy Spirit prevented or did not allow these men to enter certain places to preach the gospel. Now on the surface, that seems very odd. It seems very odd that the Holy Spirit who was sent to enable the gospel to go out to the ends of the earth is now pro prohibiting and forbidding Paul and his team from going in to these cities. So what is going on here? What is going on is that the Holy Spirit is clearly directing and guiding Paul and his team to a very specific location to preach the gospel. He's directing them to the city of Troas, which happened to be a port city for every ship that was headed to Macedonia. And from there, he gave Paul a vision to go to Macedonia and take the gospel. And Macedonia will be where our story concludes today. And so it is while in Troas, Paul has this vision, and he concludes that he and his friends will go to Macedonia, they will find a city there, and they will preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul concludes that God is calling him and his friends there to take this gospel message. And so the Holy Spirit, who was just saying no, no, do not go into Asia, no, do not go into Bithynia, is now once again saying, Paul, I want you to go. I want you to go to Macedonia, and I want you to proclaim the gospel. And so the men set sail for Macedonia, and they end up in Macedonia where they enter a major city there, the city of Philippi. And so by forbidding this team from going into Asia and going into Bithynia, the Holy Spirit was actually guiding them to a very specific place, a very specific appointment in history that God had established a long time ago. So why all these details? Why all this background information? It is because I want us to see clearly that when Paul, Silas, and Timothy arrive in Philippi, this is no accident. This did not happen by chance. 
As we will soon see, God had established an appointment for Paul, a divine appointment in history, and led him to Philippi. He prevented him when necessary. He forbid him when necessary from going to certain places so that he would make this appointment in Philippi that God had established with a lady named Lydia. But it was because of this It was because of the fact that God in this passage is so clearly guiding Paul and this team of people to Philippi that I stumbled over a word that we will see again in verse 13. It's when I was studying this passage intently, this word kept coming back and slapping me in the face. So let me read verse 13 for us again. And on the Sabbath day, We went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. The word that I was stumbling over was this word supposed. Or in the NIV, expected. Or in many other translations, where we thought there might be a place of prayer. What does Luke mean when he writes here that we supposed there would be a place of prayer? That seemingly innocent word slapped me in the face. Because it is in this Macedonian city of Philippi that they supposedly supposed they would go down to a place of prayer. They would stroll down to the river and they might run across some women praying there. Now God had just brought them on a 400 plus mile journey across the land and across the sea, and now they're supposed to arrive in this place and just suppose that they will go do this? They just will take a chance that there might be some people down at the river praying? It was this concept of assumption or chance that bothered me. I began to wonder, what if they had not supposed there was a place of prayer down by this river? Or what if they had supposed there was a place of prayer somewhere else at the river? And what if they had supposed rightly and went to that place of prayer and prayed with some other people instead of with Lydia? Or what if they had supposed, hey, we've had a long journey, why don't we just sleep in today? Or what if they supposed, hey, there's not a synagogue here, we'll just go street preaching? What if they had supposed they should just continue their journey on to another city in Macedonia? Remember, the vision was calling Paul to Macedonia, not to this specific city of Philippi. But they didn't suppose any of this other stuff. No, they supposed there was a place of prayer at this particular spot on the river, and they supposed rightly. They expected to walk down to the river and find people there meeting to pray, and they did. But it was this this possibility of this uncertainty, this chance that tripped me up. The word supposed seemed just too nonchalant. Too nonchalant for a conclusion of a mission that God has guided and orchestrated for many miles and many weeks. A missionary journey that would include an encounter in a city that would become the location of the first Christian church in Europe. Too nonchalant for God, the Holy Spirit, who has been guiding and working and directing throughout the entire book of Acts. So yes, they may have supposed that they would find some people praying down the river, but God did not suppose it. God knew it. 
God knew it, and he sent them there for it. And so when Paul encounters this woman, Lydia, I don't want any of us to suppose that this happened just by chance. There are no coincidences in a world that God is orchestrating, friends. There is no happenstance supposing going on when we are involved in God's mission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. From a human perspective, from the lady in this story, from Lydia's perspective, it is easy to say, what are the odds of Paul, who is setting out on a mission from Antioch, headed towards Asia, that he would end up in the European city of Philippi and just stroll down to the river and find some women praying there. And one of these women happens to be named Lydia, and she happens to believe this foolish message that he tells her. We might say, oh, the chances of that happening are one in a million. It would be like finding a needle in a haystack. It would be nearly impossible. But I am here to tell you that the chances of this happening were not .00001%, but they were 100% because God had determined from the foundation of the world that this encounter would take place. And Paul's meandering 400-plus mile journey that led him to this place was no accident. It was planned by God from the beginning. And the Holy Spirit sees to it that this encounter with Lydia takes place by guiding and directing and even forbidding Paul when necessary and then sending him a vision, beckoning him to this moment in history, this appointed moment in history. A moment in history that, as I said, results in the establishment of the first Christian church in Europe, the church at Philippi. When Paul left Antioch, he supposed that he and Silas would go to Asia to preach the gospel. But Paul had supposed wrong. The Holy Spirit had other ideas. And then after having their course diverted and they want to head north into Bithynia, the Holy Spirit once again had other ideas. You see, Paul was not supposed to go into Asia or Bithynia. Paul supposed wrong. But later... When he was in Philippi, Paul supposed they should go to this place of prayer down by the river. And this time Paul supposed rightly. This time he was supposed to suppose. The Holy Spirit saw to it that Paul supposed this in the same way that he had brought Paul, Silas, and Timothy all the way to Philippi in the first place. It is no coincidence, friends. Let us not just suppose they arrived at this place of prayer by accident. Paul was supposed to suppose that he would go to the river. He was supposed to believe that there would be people there praying. God had not brought him this far to leave it up to Paul to just suppose to do this. No, the Holy Spirit was active, even now working and prompting Paul to believe this. But the Holy Spirit does not stop working once they arrive in Philippi. This is not where the story ends. It is only now that the Holy Spirit's most important work begins in the life of Lydia. So let's look more closely now at the details of this tremendously important encounter between Paul and Lydia. Normally, when Paul would arrive in a city, he would go and he would preach or teach at the synagogue. And the fact that they go to a place of prayer 
at this riverside instead of going to a synagogue suggests that there was not a synagogue in this city. But there was apparently this gathering of women who prayed every Sabbath. One of the women at this place, as we have said, was named Lydia. And in verse 14, we see that she was from a city called Thyatira. The particular area she was from was famous for manufacturing dyes that were used uh, to, to color clothing. And it seems that she was a sales rep or something along those lines for one of these companies from Thyatira. But perhaps the most interesting thing that we see about Lydia is that she was a worshiper of God. In other words, Lydia believed like a Jew, she behaved like a Jew, yet she had not officially converted to Judaism. So while she was not a Jew, she took part in the worship of Yahweh and lived a life of conformity to the tenets of Judaism. And so it is to this crowd of women, some who may have been Jews and others who may have been like Lydia, worshipers of God. It is to this crowd that Paul begins to preach and teach. And during his preaching, something miraculous takes place. In the second half of verse 14, we see that the Lord opened Lydia's heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And she not only paid attention, but she believed. And we know that she believed because in verse 15 we see that she was baptized. Friends, Lydia did not simply suppose that what Paul was saying was true. She knew it was true. She knew it was true because she was supposed to believe it. The Lord opened her heart to hear and to believe what Paul was saying. So once again, God is still orchestrating and directing this entire encounter. Not only Lydia's encounter with Paul, but Lydia's encounter with the living Lord, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit opened Lydia's heart. It was not Paul's message, though the Holy Spirit certainly used Paul's message as the instrument to bring this about. But the saving work that took place in Lydia's heart belongs to the Holy Spirit alone. The same Holy Spirit who has guided Paul and Silas and Timothy to Philippi had taken and guided Paul's words into the heart of Lydia into a way that they took. And this is crucial. It is crucial because what we see here is that when the Holy Spirit opens the heart of an unbeliever, this foolish message that we proclaim as Christians is no longer foolish, but it becomes the most beautiful message that they have ever heard. This is exactly what happened to Lydia, and this is exactly what happened to every one of us who have believed on the gospel and have been saved. But what was it exactly that she believed. What was this gospel message? Just what was, was it that Paul was saying to Lydia that was so difficult that the Holy Spirit had to open her heart to believe it? You may think that believing the gospel is easy, but that may be because you have believed the gospel to be something other than it really is. Unfortunately, we have taken shortcuts in our culture. We have taken cues from marketing gurus who have taught us to round off the edges of a message that even Jesus said would be difficult to accept. 
Even Jesus' disciples, after hearing a difficult message from Jesus, asked the question, well, then who then can be saved? And do you remember what his response was? He didn't say, oh, it's easy. Just make up your mind and believe. No, he said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, nothing is impossible. Friends, that is the key. The gospel is not hard to understand. The gospel is difficult to believe. It is difficult to believe because it is foolishness to all of us until the Holy Spirit works on our hearts in the same way that he worked on Lydia's heart. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 1.18 that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And that is true. It is difficult to believe that God came to earth being born as a baby, making himself both God and man, and went on to live a perfectly sinless life that fulfilled every one of the hundreds of Old Testament prophecies about the Jewish Messiah who would come to save God's people. It is difficult to believe that a man who was killed on the cross in the most scandalous and shameful way imaginable was the creator of the earth who came to save the people who killed him. It is difficult to imagine that the reason Jesus had to die was to settle a debt with God that I am unable to settle on my own. It is difficult to believe that Jesus was indeed dead. He was dead and buried in a tomb for three days, and the Holy Spirit raised him up from the dead. And in doing so, Jesus defeated death not only for himself, but also for all of us who will believe this gospel message. Jesus, too, did what he was supposed to do. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. Jesus, too, did what he was supposed to do. And maybe today you are sitting here, and maybe today you have heard the details of the gospel message dozens of times. And maybe you have always had a hard time believing it. And maybe you have even pretended to believe it for whatever reason, but you have never really believed. But maybe today, for a reason that you are unable to put your finger on, maybe today you are hearing this message in a whole new way. Maybe today you have paid attention to this message and have not tuned it out. Maybe today you're saying to yourself right now, you know what, I think I believe this. I don't think it sounds crazy anymore. No, this is the most wonderful news I ever heard. Jesus really is the Son of God. He really is the Messiah. He really came to earth to settle my debt with God that I could not settle on my own. He really came and died on the cross for my sins, and God raised him from the dead, and he will raise me from the dead too. Today, I believe this. Friend, if that is true of you today, simply stop and thank God and believe. Stop and recognize that the Holy Spirit is working on your heart. Do not tune him out. Believe, simply stop and thank God and believe. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and the Bible promises us that we will be saved. What has taken place in your life that has led you here to this moment? How has God guided and directed you to hear this foolish message coming from this foolish man? 
Friend, it is no accident that you are here. You did not just suppose that you would come here today. Yes, you made the decision to come, but it is God who is willing and working in you for his good pleasure. Stop and acknowledge that you are in a moment in time that God knew you would be in, one that God placed you in. Don't let it pass you by. Stop and listen as the Holy Spirit opened your heart. Is he beckoning you now? Stop and listen. Is he calling you to pay attention to words that should be foolish but for some reason are not? Do you suppose that is true or do you suppose that you are just here by chance? What do you suppose? You may be a lot like Lydia. You believe some things about God. You may even have some respect and fear of God. Hey, Lydia was even going to weekly prayer meetings. She had a good job, and from everything we can tell, she was a respectable citizen. Sounds a lot like many of us. And perhaps the scariest thing to note here is that Lydia was even worshiping God. She was worshiping God, but that was not enough. She still needed to hear and to believe the gospel message that Paul was proclaiming. Just like in Matthew chapter 7, it was not enough for the people to cast out demons in Jesus' name. It is not enough here for Lydia to simply go through the motions. She had to believe the things that Paul was saying about Jesus. The words had to grab her by the heart and shake life into her. She looked alive, but in reality, she was stone cold dead. And maybe that is you today. Maybe you attend worship services every week. And you may even in some way participate in the worship of God that goes on here. Maybe you are a fine citizen who contributes much to your church and to society. But has the Holy Spirit opened your heart? Do you believe? Not just the facts. Do you believe deep in your soul? Have you been brought to life by the power of the Holy Spirit? The same power that raised Jesus up off the stone cold bed in the tomb. Has he made you alive? Do you believe? Don't harden your heart. Don't quench the spirit who is now doing what he is supposed to do. Heed his call to you today. Stop and believe that Jesus is the son of God who came and died for your sins. Believe that God has brought you to this moment to hear this gospel message and believe that the spirit is working on you now so that you will pay attention to these words just like Lydia did. My friend, believe on the Lord Jesus and be saved. Turn from your sins and receive the salvation that Jesus bought on the cross. Trust him today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we recognize that where two or three are gathered in your name, your spirit is working, Father. And I pray that if there is any here who have not trusted in your Son as their Lord and Savior, that today will be the day. 
And I pray that for those of us who have believed this gospel message, that your spirit will continue to work on us and to strengthen us and then to empower us to carry your message to the ends of the earth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We will now sing hymn number 486, Lord, Here I Am. This is a time where you can consider what has been said, and if there is a need for a response, use this time to make that response. If the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart and you believe, we need to know that so that we can help you as you walk your new life of faith. So if you would like, come forward now or see any of the staff anytime after the service so that we can rejoice with you and let you know that we love you and we want to walk with you on your new Christian life.